0: Tech Tools Keep You Up to Date by Julie Jargon. Then Joe Queenan wrote, What If Baseball's New Rules Apply to Life? Then Companies Resist Acknowledging Paying Off Hackers by Katherine Stupp and James Rundle. Rick Reif has an article, I Left My iPad in San Francisco, and we'll follow that up with an article by Gerald Eskenazi I'm nearly 87, but don't call me old man. All these articles are from recent editions of The Wall Street Journal. So let's begin with today's first one. Tech tools keep you up to date. Parent project manager. What's the difference? Back to school season means spending weekday afternoons frantically checking and updating multiple calendars wondering when kids are done with class or practice, figuring out who is going to pick them up, and when everybody is finally home, somebody has the nerve to ask what's for dinner. There is new technology to minimize the chaos. Basic online calendars from Google, Apple, and others are essential but new services combine those calendars with other software to keep schedules and carpoolings in the same place as grocery lists, meal planning, and to-do lists. Home voice assistance and even chat GPT can also be used to minimize family organizing headaches. These tools can help you stay organized and sane as your kids' schedules once again take over your life. Maple. This family management app is a one-stop shop for all of your household needs, including a basic calendar. The app, available free, also has a meal prep folder and grocery list. You can create folders to keep track of car and home maintenance, pet records, and kids' chores. Maple's best feature? It lets you assign or take ownership of household tasks. The app displays a photo of the person responsible for each chore or to-do item, so no more arguing about who was supposed to buy plane tickets or sign up the kids for piano lessons. For $7.99 a month, you can get an ad-free version. Otherwise, you see banner ads about once every two days. More important, when you pay, you can sync your Google and Apple calendars. Next month, Maple's developer, GrowMaple plans to add an expense tracker spreadsheet for the premium version. This is good for families with multiple caregivers, such as grandparents and babysitters, because everyone can take on to-dos and track whereabouts. Cozy. This family organization app is similar to Maple. It includes a shareable calendar, to-do lists, and shopping lists. Its unique features include appointment reminders and pre-made checklists for occasions such as birthday parties and trips. There is a focus on meal planning. You can browse recipes curated by Cozy, import recipes you find online, and transfer recipe ingredients to your grocery list. The key features are free, but a $39 a year premium version called Cozy Gold is ad-free and includes a birthday tracker and a way to notify people via text when calendar changes are made. This is good for very busy or large families who need extra help with meal planning and remembering appointments. Skylight. This touchscreen device with an integrated calendar has gained a cult-like following. It can sync with Google, Apple, Outlook, Yahoo, and even Cozy calendars. Each calendar, a 10 inch $160 model and a 15 inch $300 one, can be mounted to a wall or placed on a stand. Families can keep track of chores, save meal plans, and create lists right on the device. If you add events to your existing calendars, they show up on your Skylight calendar. If you add events to the Skylight calendar, they will show up on your Google calendar, but for now, They won't show up on other providers' calendars. An annual $39 subscription adds two nice-to-have features. You can forward emails or PDFs from your child's school, and Skylight will extract events to add to your calendars. And you can turn your calendar into a picture frame with unlimited cloud storage. Skylight separately sells a digital photo frame without the calendar function. This is good for families with older children who want to check their own schedules, manage their own calendar entries, and track their chores. Other tools, Echo Show 15. Amazon's $280 15-inch Echo Show contains the same shared calendar that works across Echo Show devices, but the larger screen makes it easier to see the events. Google, Apple, Outlook, and Microsoft Office 365 calendars all sync. With Alexa, you can use your voice to add calendar entries, add items to the shopping list, and assign reminders to people. Alexa, remind Craig to take out the trash at 6 p.m. every Wednesday. Alexa skills such as All Recipes, Recipe Speak, and Betty Crocker can help with meal prep with some even guiding you through recipes while you cook. AI chat box. With OpenAI's ChatGPT, parents can create calendar templates to track kids' activities and appointments. Parents can also ask ChatGPT to create a meal plan for the week, along with a shopping list based on the number of people in the family and any dietary restrictions. I tested this out and within seconds I had an impressive list of healthy meals, recipes, and shopping lists. On BARD, Google's conversational AI, and on Microsoft's Bing, I got similar results. When life gets busy, why not outsource the management to tech? And now, what if baseball's new rules apply to life? Terrified of sinking into irrelevancy, the Moribund Institution of Major League Baseball made some dramatic changes. Not only have the powers that be instituted new rules to speed up the game, but teams have introduced sophisticated new metrics to help fans calibrate athletic performance. Out of favor are RBI's runs battered in, in our BQR-S, bequeathed runners scored. If such innovations have helped revise a sport long criticized as being slow and antiquated, could they also work in other vital areas of our lives? In the major leagues, a pitcher can no longer wander aimlessly around the mound. A pitch clock requires him to throw the ball no more than 15 seconds after the last one. Hitters must step back in the batter's box eight seconds after the pitcher gets ready to throw and are required to maintain eye contact with the pitcher and vice versa. Otherwise, a batter might get hit with a 99-mile-per-hour quick pitch he never saw coming. In the brave new world of metrics, fans joyously bandy about such nerdy terms as exit velocity, the speed of a ball coming off the bat, launch angle how sharply a fly ball rockets into the air, and wins above replacement, W-A-R, which measures how many more wins a player is worth than an average replacement at his position. How might such innovations be applied in other fields? Timing devices would have loads of useful applications at customer service desks, where the speed at which a complaint is handled could be rigorously calibrated. Agents at the DMV would be required to maintain eye contact with people trying to change their car registration, and the speed with which the satisfied customer left the building would constitute the exit velocity. Car salesmen would henceforth be constrained by a timer. Make your best offer and then shut up. No more nonsense about having to consult with your manager. Companies could no longer force customers to stay on hold for 45 minutes listening to the paradoxical message, your call is very important to us. A timer would start ticking when a customer dialed, and if there was no live response within 30 seconds, fines would be assessed. If any hidebound institution is due for a new approach, it's the United States House of Representatives. If baseball can speed up and computers keep getting faster, why can't we get these lollygaggers to enter the 21st century? Anyone taking the floor of the house to speak would have to make their point within 30 seconds. Eye contact with the opposition would have to be maintained at all times. And no one goes home until somebody actually puts some points on the scoreboard. A wins-above-replacement stat would pinpoint how effective legislatures are compared with their peers. This would allow voters to send underachieving polls home at an appropriate launch angle with a very rapid exit velocity. What about a field with higher stakes, like surgery? Let's introduce the metric wins-above-knee-replacement showing how many successful procedures a surgeon produces compared with the average doctor. Back in 2022, baseball introduced one other thrilling new rule. Pitchers would no longer be allowed to bat, permanently turning over that role over to the designated hitter, someone who can actually handle a bat. Let's try this elsewhere. Designated Toastmasters will take the place of the yammering mushmouths who preside over retirement banquets. Designated karaoke singers can fill in for the drunken amateurs who turn karaoke night into hell for everyone else. Designated eulogists replace the failed stand-ups who confuse funerals with open mic night. This is what baseball purists refer to as relief. And now, companies resist acknowledging paying off hackers. Companies often refrain from disclosing that they paid ransoms to cyber crime groups after an attack, fearing that such an admission could bring legal and reputational risks. Companies that choose to pay a ransom often do so to maintain or restore business operations and to prevent hackers from publishing stolen data or making it inaccessible. Even when companies pay, hackers don't always keep their promises not to publish stolen data, cybercrime experts say. Casino operator Caesars Entertainment, for example, hasn't said publicly what it paid hackers after a cyberattack late this summer. The Wall Street Journal reported that Caesars paid around half of the $30 million ransom that hackers demanded. Unlike rival MGM Resorts, which was hacked on September 10th, Caesars appears to have avoided major technology outages. Caesar and MGM didn't immediately respond to requests for comment. In a recent September 14th filing to the Securities and Exchange Commission, Caesars didn't refer to paying a ransom, saying, We have taken steps to ensure that the stolen data is deleted by the unauthorized actor, although we cannot guarantee this result. This issue reflects challenges federal regulators face in forcing more transparency around how companies deal with cyber attacks. Companies often don't want to reveal more information than they are required to, partly because they fear lawsuits and reputational blowback. The SEC approved new rules back in July requiring publicly traded companies to report, starting in December, the nature, scope, and timing of material cyberattacks in 8K filings and other regulatory forms. Some companies already report cyberattacks through this method, such as Clorox, which has filed 8Ks regarding a hack that halted order processing on some products since August. Some states, regulators, and the federal government have specific rules around incident reporting or plans to implement them, but the SECs are by far the most detailed. The materiality threshold in the SEC rules would in many cases include whether a company paid a ransom, said Doran Goldstein, a privacy and cyber security partner at law firm Withers. Payments stretching into millions of dollars might be material for some businesses, Goldstein said. We're going to see more reporting of things the public didn't know was happening before, he said. The rate at which victims pay ransoms has been steadily declining for years, which cyber experts attribute to higher investments in security, better practices, and more thorough incident response training and preparation. In the second quarter of 2023, a record low of 34% of attacks led to companies paying up, according to Coveware, which negotiates with hackers on behalf of victims. That figure was 42% for the same period in 2022, 53% for the second quarter of 2021, 69% for the same period in 2020, and 79% in 2019. At the same time, Coveware said, the average ransom payment amount has risen sharply in recent months to $740,144 at the end of the second quarter of 2023, a 126% increase from the first quarter. The cybersecurity sector is divided on whether companies should pay ransoms. The Federal Bureau of Investigation advises generally that victims not pay because it encourages more attacks. Companies that pay could violate United States sanctions against cybercrime groups or nations, said Nick Hyatt, cyber practice leader at security company Optif. For some sectors, the decision rides on delicate calculations. Down computers and equipment in healthcare facilities, for instance may have life-or-death implications. Casinos and hotels can be crippled by long outages, which could dent local economies. As entertainment and hospitality is so ingrained in cities like Las Vegas, the ripples from an attack can be widespread, Hyatt said, referring to the hacks of MGM Resorts and Caesars. In rare instances, companies have publicly admitted they paid a ransom. In 2021, Joseph Blount, chief executive of Colonial Pipeline, told the Wall Street Journal that he authorized the payment of $4.4 million because executives weren't sure how extensive the effects of an attack on the energy company would be and how long it would take to restore operations. I will admit that I wasn't comfortable seeing money go out the door to people like this, Blount said at the time. Companies may pay but not acknowledge it because of embarrassment or concerns about providing ammunition for potential lawsuits, said Bob Zukist, CEO of the Digital Directors Network, an organization that advocates for cyber expertise on company boards. It would be an admission that this was the step of last resort. We couldn't do anything else, so we had to pay, he said. Why put that out there? Caesars said in its SEC filing that hackers stole data from its loyalty program database, including members, driver's license, and social security numbers. And now Rick Rife's, I left my iPad in San Francisco. It was quite a welcome. Less than three hours after arriving in the city, we were treated to a local specialty, a smash-and-grab theft. My wife and I exited an exhibit on Tudor England at the Legion of Honor Art Museum in Bucolic Lincoln Park to discover that our rental car's backseat windows had been shattered and the satchel containing my iPad snatched. You were lucky, a sympathetic local assured us as we surveyed the damage. It seems the thief, or thieves, had fled the scene in haste, abandoning an attempt to steal our luggage and perhaps not even noticing my wife's travel bag on the front passenger floor. The Arizona license plate gave away that we were tourists. Happens 10 times a week, a museum attendant said when I informed him of the crime. Can't security keep an eye on the park cards? Not exactly. The guards, he said, are instructed to protect only the interior of the museum and a narrow perimeter around it. I'd put the car in the jurisdiction of the park district at a bounds for museum security. A few days earlier, a visitor had spotted two men in hoods driving a van slowly past the park cars. She took pictures of the vehicle and the license plate and brought them to the desk. What did you do, I asked he shrugged. No one had witnessed the crime, and you can't arrest someone for wearing a hood. He lamented what's been happening in the city. I drive an old Ford, but two weeks ago somebody stole it, he said. Being a smart San Franciscan, he hadn't left anything in the car. Fortunately, the police found it, abandoned but undamaged, although it was filled with beer cans and syringes. The dispatcher who took my wife's phone call to make a police report, as recommended by the rental car company for insurance purposes, perfunctively told her to file online. When she persisted in seeking his help, he complained that his computer was slow before finally agreeing to take down the information. The next day we visited the De Young Museum, which has underground parking and draw gates. "'You don't get smash-and-grabs here, do you?' "'My wife asked the attendant. "'Oh, yes, we do.'" And now, Gerald Eskenazes, "'I'm nearly 87, but don't call me old man.'" "'Hey, old man.'" "'I looked up. "'I was alone at the curb. "'The guy was yelling at me. "'Yes, I was the old man, "'and he was warning me to watch out for cars,' that I was getting too close to the curb. And I've been thinking since, when did I become an old man, and what do others think of me now? That I am too feeble to realize where I am? Is this what people think of the elderly? Do they look at people running for president the same way, or maybe someone who has just gotten into a car accident? I'll be 87 soon. Through most of my career as a sports writer, I describe people in their 20s. Yes, I admit, I wrote about athletes in their 30s as aging. I didn't know anyone in my family who was 87. But we have an octogenarian president to whose age people often point when, in the Yiddish expression, he fumfers or trips over a word. His strongest opponent at this moment also will turn 80 while in office if elected yet there are societal upsides to reaching a certain age. I don't know when it first happened, but people on the street make room for me. I even walked to the front of the line at the Museum of Natural History, and no one batted an eye. Young people smile at me. After all, I'm harmless, right? Still, I am angered when people point to age as the reason for a problem as if a younger person can't be a poor driver or put together an incoherent sentence. I'm no crusader, but in a way this has become my cause because I'm not happy when an 80-something is defined by age. This seems to be happening at an increasing rate in our society in which older people are more prevalent than they were when I was coming of age in the 1950s. The guy who yelled at me to watch out for cars He didn't see me. He saw an old man. Not the kid who used to play stickball in the streets of East New York, the Brooklyn neighborhood. Not Roz's husband of more than 60 years, father of three, grandfather of six, author of many books, and of whom Muhammad Ali once playfully said, you know, you're not as dumb as you look. Society will have to rethink its stereotypes of aging. It is, quite simply, hurtful. I appreciate that youngsters hold the door open for me even if I wasn't having trouble opening it myself or wave me into an elevator ahead of them. That's okay, but not what I want. I want them to see me as a functioning, understanding man who knows not to step onto the street while he's looking at his cell phone to see what new texts he has. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.